Good morning. Welcome to the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Glad you are with us. Wow. A lot to talk about during the course of the broadcast today. Just a preview of some of the things that we will delve into. We've got body camera footage released of that controversial arrest some days ago. Not a lot of surprise here in terms of what's there and the ongoing outrage about that. We'll talk about it. Economic news, it's not good. If I were this president, I wouldn't go around talking about anything called Bidenomics. Have you tried to get a mortgage for a house lately? The information we have on mortgages is absolutely stunning. We'll talk about this a little bit later on. In fact, the Wall Street Journal goes so far as to say the math for buying a home no longer works. There's a real problem here, folks. This is America. The ongoing controversy over funding for Ukraine, it heats up. We now have a senator, a newly minted senator out of Ohio making some pretty strong comments about funding for Ukraine and a senator here in North Carolina who is firing back at him. We'll tell you about the words communicated from both of these men. Also, on yesterday's program, if you've listened, you know that I shared a post from Tara Servatius. She had what I believe on the Republican side is the most important post to date i know these are strong words but the way she spelled out what i believe is going on right now to decimate republicans next year i think she is absolutely spot on lord willing she will join us in the next hour to explain the position she's taken because it is quite radical in contrast to where she has been. It's part of Transformation Tuesday. We've got another element about this, and boy, will I love sharing this. It's a post from my good friend Bob Prater, who I had the chance to talk to just a few days ago. And this one, I absolutely love it. It brings so many wonderful themes together and explains something that I think people have overly complicated, overly complicated. And I think there's a real connection between, not intentionally, but there is some tie between our conversation with Tara and the other item for Transformation Tuesday. So, fasten your seatbelts as we dive right in. And share what is right with the world. One of the things I've repeatedly said in this broadcast, and I think this is going to become more pronounced in the coming days, that these distinctions the mainstream news media loves to make and the politicians love to make to divide people, I think these things are going to blow up. They're continuing to blow up. These narratives are becoming worthless. If I might say, before I even share this story, and, and I think you've been hearing this from me repeatedly, 
I don't care what someone's alleged identity is, politically, sexually, racially. I think more and more these things are going to become meaningless. And here's what I mean by that. I'm not trying to erase anybody or anything like that. But what I think is going to happen is I think we're going to find that there is a growing consensus among just sensible Americans who can embrace just basic ideas of humanity and civility and common sense. And I think there's the ability to transcend the folks who want to exploit these and want to create these false sides whether it's radical left radical right whatever nonsense people are promoting all right what's vince talking about i take you to a newsweek story this is not a headline i would have expected out of newsweek liberal america is embracing firearms yes the proportion of registered Democrats who have a firearm in their home has jumped significantly over the past few years, according to a recent NBC News poll. With some analysts say rising crime in urban areas could be behind the increase. I'm not talking about crazy right-wing extremists. Registered Democrats. In November 2023, the survey found 41% of Democrats said they live in a household with a gun, up from 33%. In a similar survey conducted by NBC News and the Wall Street Journal in August 2019, this is a change over four years, folks, eight percentage points. Notably, 33% of Democrats also said they lived with a gun in a similar NBC survey conducted in March 2004. The numbers were flat for quite a while. The sharp rise concentrated over the past four years. What's been going on the last four years? Well, we've had pretty much stupid leadership nationally, locally, facilitating criminals. Soft on crime policies. And people have recognized they need to be their own first responders. Not surprisingly, the data also showed a rise in Republicans having a gun at home, though this was much less sharp and more in line with previous trends. November 2023, 66% of registered Republicans said they live with a firearm, 64% in August 2019, 57% March 2004. Overall, 52% of registered voters said their household has a gun in the latest poll, up from 46% in 2019. What does this say? People are speaking with their lives. They believe in the right to bear arms. This is probably one of our biggest protections right here for our Second Amendment. And it's not just right-wing people. Speaking Newsweek, Professor Kleck. who teaches criminology and criminal justice at Florida State University, said the overall American figure is broadly in line with previous figures that suggested the increase amongst Democrats could be down to a crime surge in major cities. 
Well, imagine that. And who's running these major cities? Democrats are. So this, I believe, is a positive sign. It is another item, another piece of information that shows it's foolish to assume everybody pursuing gun ownership is a Republican. Not so much anymore. 41% of Democrats live in a household with a gun, up from 33% just four years ago. And I don't have any reason to believe this trend is not going to continue. It will continue. Because there's no significant movement to deal with the crime problem. Love to get your thoughts as we continue our Tuesday broadcast. And our phone number is 704-570-1110. 704-570-1110. We have a lot to get to, including one more praiseworthy item... And I think you're really going to like this one. I really want to watch this certain leader in a country outside America. And we're back on the Vince Coakley radio program. Are you surprised to hear liberal America is embracing firearms? It's quite a headline in Newsweek of all places. Let's go out to a call from John here in Charlotte. What are your thoughts here, John? Hey, um, good morning. I, w- I was listening to your um, numbers, and I think that's fantastic. Democrats versus Republicans, percentage on guns. I'm a Vietnam veteran, and I know when I came back, when I got out of the service in the 70s, <clears throat> you weren't allowed to own military assault weapons. And that's the only thing I'm against. Of those percentages, um, I wish that we could do something at least background checks or something. But why do we have to have AR-15s? I don't have one. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that so many people own that gun. You know, that's all. That's my that's my uh, recommendation. I hear what you're saying there, John. Uh, very much appreciate your call, and this is one of the subjects of ongoing debate, conversation. Uh, there are those who believe that the right to bear arms is absolute. There are others, as John has described, who there believe there are certain weapons that need to be banned or restricted or curtailed in some way. So this conversation will clearly continue. I was very excited when I heard the news about an election that took place in Argentina. You know, politicians can say anything. They can run off the mouth and talk about what they're going to do. I mean, how many, how many years has it been since Obamacare was put in place? Aren't we well over 10 what, 15 years now? And it's still here. And you've had these crooked Republicans, yes, I said it, who've been running on getting rid of Obamacare for years. Still, it's not gone. People made all these empty promises, all the fundraising, just spewing out garbage. 
And I say it's garbage because these folks, again, are not genuine conservatives. None of them are. So what you end up with, it's just a whole lot of rhetoric. You don't have a demonstration of things that really matter. What is this old goon talking about? <laughs> I know. Look, there's a squirrel. Upchuck Schumer is speaking about something. I have no idea what it is. If it's uh, anything of consequence, uh, perhaps we'll listen in and hear what he has to say. But um, who knows? By the way, do you have a do you have a source for this, Bernie? If you do, it might be interesting to listen in on what he's rambling about. Okay, he just stepped away, so it whatever it was, probably not that significant. We'll see what his comments relate to. I want to quickly get to what is happening in Argentina. The Argentine president Javier Milei used his first executive action in the top office to dramatically rearrange the federal executive branch, reducing the number of cabinet-level ministries from 18 down to 9. Hmm, imagine that. Many of the ministries eliminated were folded into new offices, suggesting their functions will continue with a much smaller office and reduced staff. Three ministries, the General Ministry, Office of Media and Communications, and the Legal and Techno Offices, were elevated to cabinet level. Millet put the General Ministry in the hands of his sister and campaign fixture, Karina, which required the signing of a separate executive order to undo limitations on appointing family members to top positions. You know, some nepotism concerns there. But aside from that, this guy is starting to implement some of what he campaigned on small government anti-socialist libertarian policies he made the elimination of at least half of the government's top ministries a core campaign promise in one of the most popular public appearances he explained his plan by scratching ministries out of a large flowchart of the federal government one by one describing many as ranging from useless to harmful Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine if we did that with this federal government we have in the United States? I think I'd put most of them in the harmful category. Probably starting with the State Department. But I digress. Millet published a photo of his cabinet in the presidential offices in the early morning hours of Monday alongside his campaign slogan, which roughly translates to long live Liberty, darn it. Actually, he said another word that I don't normally say. The nine cabinet-level ministries in the Argentine federal government are now the Ministry of the Interior, Foreign Relations, Defense, Economics, Infrastructure, Justice, Security, Health, and the new Ministry of Human Capital. The offices of the General Secretariat, Legal and Technical Secretariat, and Communications and Press elevated to the cabinet as well, they're not going to function as full ministries. The eliminated ministries are now part of other offices, likely resulting in the elimination of the jobs of those leading the ministries and many of its bureaucrats. Boy, this guy's on the money, isn't he? 
I share this because this is so important. It's important to run, to make sensible promises, and it's important to follow through and fulfill those promises. Clearly, there's a lot more that will have to happen here. But he's done a whole lot more than Republicans in this freaking country. When's the last time anybody's even talked about this issue? It's pathetic. And this is why I'm really not overwhelmed by any of the Republicans right now running for president. Not overwhelmed by any of them. I think there are some that might do some good things. Nonetheless, we continue to watch Javier Millet and wish him the best in Argentina. That his wish would be our wish. Long live liberty. Darn it. (laughs) Still to come, we'll talk about the release of some body camera footage here in Charlotte. Also, what's going on with our economy? Specifically, what's happening with the ability to purchase homes? It's not a pretty picture. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program, you heard in the news about the release of body cam video of that Steel Creek arrest. This has put new a new spotlight on the police department. We had viral video captured by a bystander showing police officer Vincent Pistone repeatedly hitting Christina Pierre as onlookers shouted for him to stop. Charlotte Observer reports police body camera footage expected to show that interaction leading to the viral incident. A police said as the viral video started circulating, Pierre and her partner and co-worker Anthony Lee were smoking pot at a bus stop. Pierre punched an officer in the face and they found a gun in Lee's bag. Both resisted arrest. Pistone dealt out compliance strikes, according to CMPD. The department's directives allow for that. Whatever the circumstances, some community leaders took issue with what they saw. Corinne Mack from Charlotte-Mecklenburg NAACP said my fear was she was going to die there. Police Chief Johnny Jennings acknowledged at a news conference November 15th the video was not easy to watch. Now, North Carolina law requires the judge approve the release of body cam footage. Now, police filed a petition for that release, and the green light was given November 30th. The judge saying the public does have a right to see it. So now it's out. Interestingly enough, the video has been received as you would expect it to be received. It's disturbing to watch. This is not the kind of thing that anybody really wants to see. City council members got their first look at it. At a closed session, before this was released to the public, 
Tawana Brown saying, I didn't like the video at all. She is new in District 3. Saying this sentiment was shared by many on the council. Adding, I think things could have been done differently. Ms. Brown was formerly incarcerated. Works with other formerly incarcerated women through her nonprofit. But she also expressed her support for the CMPD chief, Johnny Jennings, to manage the case. I trust he will make the right decision. Tark Picard described the footage as tough video to watch. He represents District 6. Saying while he knows that many of the community will be upset by the video, he's in agreement with Jennings. Officers followed their training in what was a tough situation. Can only hope this serves as a PSA for our community. You need to comply when an officer asks you to do something. Pretty basic stuff, huh? Officers are doing their best to make split-second decisions. They can be the difference between life and death. Police say officers approached Christina Pierre and her partner and co-worker Anthony Lee. They'd clocked out from work at a Bojangles near South Tryon and Arrowwood and smoking pot at a bus stop. The officers stopped, engaged them, stated they were under arrest. Pierre became combative, struck an officer in the face. Both individuals refused to rest, and a struggle with officers ensued. You saw the video taken by a bystander showing Pierre getting hit at least 17 times. That went viral on social media and brought a lot of scrutiny on the CMPD because of how the officers reacted. So, curious about your thoughts. Have you watched this? And what are your additional thoughts, one way or the other, as to how this thing should be addressed? You know, I've said before, one of our big problems in our society now is we have cultivated a culture of lawlessness. This begins, frankly, at home. I think this is one of the byproducts of our fatherless homes and the disintegration of morality. And this is not going to get better because we are not taking the steps to resolve the real problem. So we're going to continue to just try to address and mitigate the consequences of horrible things that we are doing and terrible decision making that we're doing as it relates to family. We can start turning this around at any time. The question is, do we want to? Do people have a vision to make this kind of change? If you have additional thoughts, they are welcome here. Our phone number is 704-570-1110. 704-570-1110. Still to come. We'll talk about what's happening on the economic front. It's not a pretty picture, especially if you're trying to buy a house. I have some numbers that will absolutely startle you. Speaking of money, we'll discuss funding for Ukraine, a little dust-up going on between senators on this issue. And coming up in just a few minutes, our conversation with Tara Servatius. And she has had quite a turnaround as it relates to the 2024 presidential contest. This is part of Transformation Tuesday.
I certainly do not need to tell you the cost of everything is going up. Not in the direction we would like to see up. I want to draw your attention to a couple of news stories. One of them reported by Breitbart, and they've taken the cue from the Wall Street Journal. We'll go to the Wall Street Journal directly in a moment. But one of the things they extracted from this story, uh, you might want to sit down for this because this is pretty sobering. The average monthly mortgage payment, do you know what it is right now? I mean, this is just staggering. $3,322. 3322 I hope your mortgage is nowhere near that figure. Breitbart <laughs> words it this way, the average monthly mortgage payment in Joe Biden's America soared to $3,322. Nearly double the average monthly mortgage payment when his fraudulency assumed office. When President Donald Trump left office, the average monthly mortgage payment was $1,787. My goodness. If you don't need any further indictment on this presidency, (laughs) you really don't need one. After hearing that figure alone, how in the world do we get there? Well, we get there. And actually, this ropes Donald Trump in as well through our continued overspending. Literally all presidents and lawmakers are responsible for this because this didn't just pop up during the Biden administration by coincidence. If we did not have years, and it's important to remember, years of terrible fiscal policy we wouldn't be at this point no matter who's in office this is a an accumulation of responsibility but certainly joe biden has not helped the situation he's made it worse wall street journal reports home ownership has become a pipe dream for more americans Even those who could afford to buy just a few years ago, many would-be buyers were already feeling stretched thin by home prices that shot quickly higher in the pandemic, but at least mortgage rates were low. Now that they're high, many people are just giving up. Who are these people who are looking to enter the housing market? Young people. Who do young people vote for overwhelmingly? Democrats. Breitbart says, and so allow me to welcome welcome you to today's edition of People Getting What They Vote For. It's now less affordable than any time in recent history to buy a home. And the math isn't changing anytime soon. Home prices aren't expected to go back to pre-pandemic levels. The Federal Reserve, which started raising rates aggressively early last year to curb inflation, hasn't shown much interest in cutting them. Mortgage rates slipped to about 7% last week. Ooh, isn't that exciting? It's the lowest in several months. Still more than double what they were two years ago. The author of this piece for Breitbart says, This is good news for me. The wife and I purchased our home in 1997. Afterward, we worked hard and saved harder to pay it off by 2003. Ever since, we've been saving our money for retirement. 
Now that we're of a certain age where it's no longer wise to write out stock market downturns, we've taken advantage of these gloriously high interest rates Democrats voted for. Our money is now nice and safe and snug in an interest-bearing account working its butt off for us. Thanks, unhoused Zoomers. But you can't buy a home because you voted for a Democrat. Cry more. Those obnoxiously high mortgage payments are not only due to the Biden inflation caused by his fraudulency's lunatic government spending. There are other factors. Those of you who vote Democrat are currently <laughs> leaking away all your money on rent because you can't afford a home. Riddle me this. What happens to this housing market when a president throws open our southern border to millions and millions of illegal aliens who need a place to live? Think hard now. Could it be that when you have an infinite amount of something people want and then flood the country with millions more people who want it? Well, guess what? The cost of that something explodes. <laughs> and something people want becomes scarcer. Now you flood the country with millions more people who want it. Yes, dummies. <laughs> This gets worse. The second factor, Democrats hate single-family homes. This is why they use climate change to justify blocking the construction of new homes. Democrats want us all packed in cities and massive government housing complexes. By the way, they don't make any secret of this. Final factor is this. It's all by design. Democrats know lunatic government spending creates lunatic inflation. Lunatic inflation destroys purchasing power and creates high interest rates that make it impossible for the middle class to purchase a home. Democrats also know when you flood a country already dealing with a housing crisis caused by enviro lies with millions of illegals, housing costs explode. Democrats don't want you to own anything, especially a house. The mantra is... You'll own nothing and be happy. This means you'll never accrue wealth because the middle and working class can only accrue wealth through home ownership. And when I say wealth, I don't mean rich. Believe me, as smart and hard as my wife and I have worked, no one would consider us rich, the author says. We do have a nest egg for retirement that will make us more comfortable than Social Security. By design, the Democrat Party and their pals and multinational corporations make out like bandits in a non-ownership society. You're dependent on the government until the day you die. And you're eternally making monthly payments for your home, your car, your music, your movies, your TV programming, your radio, your computer operating system, whatever other demonic subscription service they can rope you into. Coffee, meals, makeup, car washes, perfume, veterinary care. So keep voting, Democrat dummies. No skin off my nose. I'm set, and I'm enjoying this 5.5% guaranteed annual interest rate almost as much as my told-you-sos. Almost. <laughs> A piece in Breitbart. By the way, we'll talk more about this and what the Wall Street Journal is saying about the, how the math for buying a home just doesn't work anymore. We'll talk about Ukraine funding and conversation with Tara Servatius for Transformation Tuesday, it's straight ahead.
and welcome to hour number two of the Vince Coakley radio program. Glad you are with us. Still a number of things we want to delve into. At the end of the hour, we talked about what's going on with home buying. And as a corollary to what we shared already, the original story appeared in the Wall Street Journal. And the headline was simply this, the math for buying a home no longer works. And they show a bunch of charts. It's really depressing. Very, very depressing. It is now less affordable than any time in recent history to buy a home. And the math is not changing anytime soon. Home prices are not expected to go back to pre-pandemic levels. We mentioned this. And the interest rates, no indication these are going down anytime soon. Typically, high mortgage rates slow down home sales and home prices should soften as a result. Not this time. Home sales are falling, but prices are still rising. There just aren't enough homes to go around. The national median existing home price rose to $392,000 in October. That's the highest ever for that month in data that goes back to 1999. This is all very scary stuff. That's a lot. Higher rates add up fast. An increase of just a few percentage points can mean hundreds of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars more in interest over the life of a standard 30-year loan. That means buyers get a lot less home for their dollar. Before the Fed started raising rates, a person with a monthly housing budget of $2,000 could have bought a home worth 400000 Today, that same buyer will need to find a home valued at two ninety-five or less. See the price for this? First, first time and young buyers still stuck on the sidelines. About a third of buyers this year were first-time home buyers, below the historical average of 38%. The median first-time buyer, 35 years old, second highest on record. You'd have to go back to 2022's peak of 36. This is crazy. The people are having to wait that late to buy a home. Rents also on the rise. Many of you are aware of this. The cost of buying a home has risen a lot more. The average monthly new mortgage, 52% higher in the U.S. than the average apartment rent. Premiums even sharper in many major metro areas, including 175000 or more in Seattle and Austin, Texas, several cities in California. Some people, as a result, are just abandoning the idea of saving for a down payment. It's futile. The usual tricks aren't working. For example, when interest rates rise, buyers sometimes turn to a type of mortgage that offers a lower rate for the first few years. But the cost of these adjustable rate mortgages, they've also gone up sharply this year. They're just a little bit cheaper, but not so much. So this picture is not attractive at all. Not attractive at all. I'm curious to hear from you. What's your situation? Are you sitting pretty? You've already got your mortgage secured from years ago with a nice low interest rate. 
I'd especially like to hear from you if you are younger and you haven't gotten into the housing market yet and now you're wrestling with this. You're trying to figure out what to do. It's a challenging, very challenging place to be. Not the kind of thing that I think anybody who's running for president should be talking about in a positive way about their economic record. <laughs> That's what's crazy. Bidenomics. Yeah, not so much. Speaking of money, let's turn to the subject of Ukraine funding. As you know, J.D. Vance got elected to the U.S. Senate. He represents Ohio. He had a conversation with Steve Bannon, and he is very much up in arms, no pun intended, about what they are trying to do in Washington, D.C. Here is a short clip from this appearance that he made, J.D. Vance, on the Steve Bannon Show, talking about funding for Ukraine. It's very short and sweet. You have people in this town saying we need to cut Social Security. There are people who would cut Social Security, throw our grandparents into poverty. Why? So that one of Zelensky's ministers can buy a bigger yacht? Kiss my ass, Steve. It's not happening. Wow. <laughs> not uh, much room for negotiation there. Tom Tillis striking back on this, calling the Ohio Republicans' comments total and unmitigated bull. You can finish it. He said, if you're talking about giving money to Ukrainian ministers, total and unmitigated bull, not productive conversation, not real happy about it. Well, of course he's not. You have, unfortunately, people who are just willing to throw our money anywhere. Isn't this interesting in light of where we are economically and what's happening in your home? I very quickly want to get to our guest who's joining us for Transformation Tuesday. We'll at least be able to set the table for our conversation and hope she'll be able to stay around for a little while. It's a voice that's very familiar to many of you here in the Charlotte area. It's our friend Tara Servatius, who joins us from the sprawling metropolis of Greenville, South Carolina. Good morning and welcome back, Tara. Good morning, Vince. It's great to be back on the air here at WBG. Yes, it is an honor to have you. We are very short in this segment, but uh, I want to set the table. I assume you'll be able to hold on into the next segment with us. That's correct, right? Absolutely. And I want to begin by, uh, in this first minute, tell us about your previous support for Donald Trump for president. How strongly you supported Donald Trump. Uh, well, my husband and I, um, longtime Trump supporters, I was with him from the time he came down the elevator, um, really gave that first immigration speech, um, really happy with most of his presidency, um, you know, definitely the three years. Um, in, in fact, we, we did it all, donated um, almost $1,000 to him over, you know, the course of the presidency and then stopped the steal. So definitely a huge fan of Donald Trump. Okay. And so I think it's really important for people to understand you have no animosity or anything like that toward Donald Trump whatsoever. You very much believe that uh, that most of his presidency was very positive for the country, and uh, he was where he needed to be, and that was the man we needed in that season. For 
the most part, yes. Um, I've really had some pause over that last year of the Trump, um, you know, presidency in terms of just turning the presidency over to Fauci and then looking back on that, then seeing the 95,000 businesses that were permanently destroyed, the $7 trillion in debt, um, and then to find out from, you know, Deborah Burks in her own book, oh, hey, I never, I never had any proof that, you know, we had to lock down. I just thought it was a good idea. So I made up, you know, I made up two weeks to stop the spread because, you know, I just wanted to find a, another excuse to keep the, you know, the economy shut down. And she'd watched some YouTube videos from China and they had made her really scared, she said. Well, those turned out to be psyops. We would learn later that propaganda put out by the Chinese government. And we know that because it was young people dropping dead. They don't do that in the street. Um, that's, you know, it's older people who are affected by COVID. So, um, you know, really made me question, you know, then what did Donald Trump see then as the evidence to justify backing that shutdown? And as you know, once he started it, he tried to reverse course, but he, he couldn't. He, he couldn't throw it in reverse. And it's been bad for the country. So, I mean, you know, there's, it's not a perfect record. But, but yes, I have been a big Trump supporter for a long time. We're going to continue this conversation with Tara because she has, I think, one of the most insightful perspectives on 2024. You really need to hear it. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program, and I'm sure Tara will enjoy hearing this. This is an email message from Alan out of Gastonia. Please convey to Tara how terribly we all miss her in the Charlotte market. Love her intellect and bulldog tenacity in all things. So what say you, Tara, to that? Well, thank, I tell him thank you. That's real sweet. You know, I, um, I'm still on the radio down here in... Uh, you know, down here in Greenville, and we, we, you know, do have streams and we're Rumble Channel, and I'm on Twitter, so there's a lot of different ways to still hear the radio, um, but online, so. All right. Terrific. Well, I want to <laughs> continue our conversation where you have extolled the virtues of Donald Trump for quite some time, uh, mostly favorable to his presidency. Your concern seemed to come in, uh, like my friend Steve Dace, with how this was essentially, uh, he, he would basically characterize it as he turns his presidency over to Fauci and company, and that was the beginning of the end. It, it was, and um, he built Fauci into what Fauci was. I mean, looking back on it, you can't ignore it. I mean, those press conferences that Trump would do every day, Vince made Trump so popular, the Democrats had to launch one with Cuomo. But it was having Fauci at his side that made Fauci what Fauci became, and that was a monster, really. And he grew out of control, and then Trump couldn't rein him in. And by then, it was a runaway presidency. You could see that so clearly looking back that, I mean, Fauci got to the point, I think Trump couldn't fire him. Uh, But Trump made him that. And it was one of those oversights I think he probably wonders about late at night. You know, one of my frustrations about that, and you know this, because uh, we've had some interesting and fun debates back during, back in the day. Uh, I was the person who, I mean, I voted for him twice, and yet at the same time, I was also very, uh, maybe the word would be combative, because I I really (laughs) thought some... (laughs) You were. You were. Some things should have been addressed differently, and this is Uh one of my frustrations. This is a man who just cannot acknowledge that he made a mistake. This is part of his problem, isn't it? I, I, you know, and I don't know if you need to say it politically because you don't want that on the record, played over and over in an ad, but maybe just doing things differently going forward, you know? Um, 
And, and ultimately, I think Trump's nominees did him in. Um, and, you know, I mean, you look at Malay in Argentina, he walks to the door and fires nine people. Trump kept coming, and that sealed his doom. Um, Paul Ryan offered to resign. Trump said no stay, and then Paul Ryan blocked uh, the first year of the Trump agenda. Um, but, you know, I don't want to go all negative here, too, because we had three of the best economic years that I ever had. Uh, my family, I know my sister as a single mom was comfortable for the first time, uh, financially, like really comfortable, like felt good. So it was good for so many people. There were great things about the Trump presidency and Trumpnomics. So looking back, uh, and, and I think you would say what I would say, which is I think Trump was the man for that season. But yeah. now for 2024... You are looking elsewhere. What made you change your position and not back Trump this time around? It's not so much that I'm not backing Trump. I will vote for him if he is on uh, the ballot. Absolutely. Um, it, it's that I'm worried. And, and, I, and I think that the reason you've had me on is, is this, um, I, don't, I don't know, book I wrote on Twitter over the weekend. I guess it went viral um, woke up on Sunday, went, holy cow. Um, but I think, I, I really think, uh, Vince, that the Democrats are running a psyop on GOP voters. And I think we're walking right into our, their trap. Whether you love Trump, can't stand Trump, you're like, nah, about Trump. Um, I, I really think that they have got the upper hand right now. And, and as little as it seems possible, they want you to vote for Trump. They want you to vote for Trump very badly. And you can see that they're doing it, right? They beat him once before. They know how to do it. Um, and you can see right now they're consolidating GOP voter support behind Trump. I mean, it's like, it, it, I mean, it's like you, you can just see it every poll. Oh, look, they're Biden sinking or, oh, no, Trump's beating Biden. I mean, it's so bad right now, Vince. I mean, you want to know the tell. In, in New Hampshire, you remember the Lincoln uh, Project? Like, their whole purpose was to take out Trump. That was like what they did. It was run by um, John McCain's no good, very rotten campaign manager who was barely a Republican and then became a Democrat. <laughs> and so their whole person take, purpose is to take out Trump. Do you know what he's doing right now? He's running ads in New Hampshire for Trump, arguing that Trump can beat Biden. They want him. Oh and we're falling for it. We think we're showing them in. You know, he gets more popular the more that he gets indicted. No, they they focus gripped that. They knew that would happen. They want it to happen. That's why they kept indicting him. I mean, Trump was in the. I mean, Trump was only like twelve points off DeSantis after the, you know before the first indictment. And if you look on Real Clear Politics, he shoots straight up into the stratosphere every time they indict him. That's why they kept indicting him. They want him indicted. Why? Because they're going to put him in prison before the election. And if you look at the internals of these polls. Vince, and you have to look because the media is not going to tell you. You have to go into these polls. The most recent was Siena, came out over the weekend. Um, you go in there, and what do you see? Trump's beating Biden. Cool, but what happens if Trump's convicted? Biden wins, usually by an average of 6 to 12 points, most of them 6 to 10. And, oh, he takes the House and the Senate with him. Landslide. So that's what you're concerned about. You think that's going to happen. I, you know, I talk to a lot of people, and I really think a lot of Trump supporters are in denial about this criminal yes. aspect. You think yes. he's going to prison? Yes, absolutely. No, no two ways about it. They have built a quadruple redundant system to send him to prison. And what I am frustrated about is that a lot of the big pundits in this country, I know where they're coming from. They know this. They're smart people on our side. And they're not telling you. They're not telling you about the reality of these cases, the reality of these juries, because it would hurt their ratings. 
And I, I mean, I've seen some rebellion because I've talked a little bit about it. Um, and, and what happened, Vince, is when all these cases went down, they're filed. All of the legal experts, Fox News, Newsmax, wherever, uh, came on and they said, you know what, these are crummy cases. Uh, these, these are, you know, I mean, it's ridiculous. There's no precedent for this. Um, the New York ones were the biggest joke um, because literally the statute of limitations has expired, right? Um, but here's the thing. Those commenters, at the time of legal experts, they, they only are looking at the past. This is not anything we've ever seen before. And when you look at these weaponized juries, they are in blue areas. They are in areas, uh, D.C., for instance, went over 90% for Biden. They are not rational. They might as well be in the former Soviet Union. And when you look at what they did with J6ers, in the beginning, yeah, there were legitimate, you know, convictions. But then you look at it, I mean, Owen Schroer, are you kidding me? I mean, he didn't even go into the building. He stood there with a bullhorn and told people not to go. And he went to federal prison. That's the jury. Trump's going to face. And yep. he's not getting out of it. So it doesn't matter how weak the, these cases are. Um, he, Trump's going to be convicted. And he's got some real, real problems in Miami. I mean, buku problems. That's the one that scares me. That's actually a purple jury. But they've got really good evidence against Trump on one of those charges. And, and they do. And, and nobody on our side wants to say it because Vince, there, and I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I've probably driven off half your audience. Grifters, um, grifters, you, Tara. Grifters. Am I right? Am I right about this? There are a lot of grifters who are still profiting off of Donald Trump. Yep. Yeah, and it's not just grifters. It's like, you know, if you've got this thing you've built, and it's so hard to build a following, so hard. Um, You you know, you don't want to watch a quarter of it walk away for six months, and your boss is talking about the ratings because you told the truth. So you don't tell the truth. You just keep going. And he's in trouble. He's in trouble by his own hand in Miami, and the rest of the cases are bogus, but I don't see how he gets by these, these blue juries. I just don't see it. Uh, I'm fully with you on this. I know we've kept you for a while already. Can you hold on through one more segment? Because I want to talk about these other candidates running for president in 2024. Uh, because yeah, you've had absolutely. some pretty strong things you, to when say. When you look at the calendar, Vince, you got to tell the end of the story, because we're only yes, halfway through. I know. I know. I know. And let's get to that. We'll continue our conversation with Tara Servatius on the Vince Coakley radio program. Still getting attention from social media. Jude writes in, I love that you have Tara on today. Charlotte misses her. I'm sure this is music to your ears, Tara, that you would uh, continue to hear that people are Uh, have not forgotten you at all here in the Charlotte area. We're continuing our conversation with Tara Servatius. Our discussion is about Donald Trump's campaign for president. We've covered a number of areas, and uh, we very much want to cover everything. And I think one of the significant things about this conversation is the timing of these prosecutions. Uh, This is very important, isn't it, Tara? Yeah, and this is where you start to see, if you look at the calendar, which a regular working person wouldn't do, they're too busy, you can see how it is a weapon. And you can see why Jack Smith, who I call a special persecutor, because he's not really a prosecutor in the traditional sense, is, um, is using it. This is why he's before the Supreme Court yesterday um, trying to get uh, this trial expedited for Trump by arguing Trump doesn't have any immunity. He's going straight to the Supreme Court. He's skipping the appellate level, which is highly unusual. 
Supreme Court in another highly unusual move is like, sure, we can, we'll, you know, we'll brush our calendars aside for you. Um, and he's got to get this done by March. And if you look at the calendar, you'll see them stacking up. March 4th is one trial. March 25th is the New York State trial. March, uh, then you see May 20th in Florida. Why then? Well, because they are waiting until after Super Tuesday because you have all those nominating contests, GOP primaries. He, Trump will, at his current rate, have amassed enough support, enough vote by then to be mathematically, indisputably, the GOP's nominee. And then we're trapped. Then they're going to let us see the full unmitigated lawfare. Boom, trial, boom, trial, boom, trial. If you look up Trump trial schedule, it will drop your jaw. There is no way a human being could campaign in between that. It's just nuts. Plus, there's all kinds of civil stuff going on. Plus, two more cases that Jack Smith is also working on, um, one out of Georgia that kind of doubles what they did in Georgia, but at the federal level. So, I mean, they got this thing quadruple redundant. And even if the Supreme Court says Jack Smith can't do it, he's got immunity, um, well, you know what? He doesn't have immunity on state charges in New York. He doesn't have immunity on federal charges in Florida because those are after his presidency. They just keep rolling right on. So when it's too late and he's mathematically our nominee, which would be about you know mid to late March, this is going to begin to sink in with GOP voters, it's too late. And Jack Smith, I think, wants to get the first conviction before the nominating convention. And so the goal is they want to make sure he is indeed the nominee. And because, as you've described, the internals in these polls indicate if he is convicted, his support collapses. In the GOP. And they're not broadcasting that either. Again, start going into the internals of the poll, the actual poll, not the articles. And you can see, I mean, there was one in August, about half of U.S. Republicans uh, we'll turn on Trump if he's convicted. They're not going to vote for a Democrat, but they don't want him on the they don't want him on the ballot. Uh, there was another one a week ago. News Nation. It said 30 percent very firmly committed to him not being on the ballot and not voting for him. Again, they're not voting for Democrats. They're just going to skip. So, I mean, there's Republicans. I mean, you got to get in the low 90s percentage of your own voters. Democrats, it's the high 80s. There's more of them than us. Um, and so they're already talking about fracturing uh, the Trump base. Now, think about why they want this before the convention. They're hoping we'll tear each other apart on the convention floor. Um, they're hoping, you know, if GOP leadership replaces Trump with somebody, half the party's going to hate that person, no matter how great they are. We're not great. We don't know. Uh, automatically, that person is doomed in the Democrat. This is a Democrat's playbook. And, and But if Trump is the nominee, then you're going to have 30 to 50 percent of the of Republican voters either, you know, in open rebellion or just completely terrified to run a candidate who's in prison. And what's so funny is James Comey told us, the former FBI director, told us this this was all coming back in June. In June he knew. And he said, Well, if y'all have you know, if if y'all have a nominating convention and Trump's there, he's gonna have an ankle bracelet on. They already knew. They knew that was the timeline. So they can tear Republicans apart. Um, and they're hoping fracture the base in, in, a, in, a, in an extremely damaging way. Again, this demoralizes GOP voters. Maybe some of them stay home. They give up. And that helps the Democrats get the House, get the Senate, and do all the things they want, like remaking the Supreme Court. I know it's a lot in one segment. I know but, it's a, it's um, a whole lot. clearly see it coming. And we only have a couple of minutes left. In fact, I'm going to extend it a little bit just to be able to cover this. The other thing that we're seeing, they are really trying to play up Nikki Haley. What's going yeah. on there? 
Um, okay, they want they ideally, as Kevin McCarthy told us, this is his last act on the way out of Congress. He he endorsed her for VP. They know that Trump desperately needs her money. The Democrats are loading her up with money. Trump's most of Trump's money, if you read the Reuters rundown on it, and it's correct, um, is that most of Trump's money is going for legal bills right now. There's not really going to be a campaign unless he hooks up with her. There's a lot of acrimony between the two of them. She stabbed him in the back a lot when she was, you know, his U.N. ambassador. But, you know, don't be surprised if he picks her. If not, there's been this battle in the GOP between the Trump fundraising base and the Bush fundraising base. They want the party back. So they're already, I think, the Democrats are planning, hey, Trump will be gone, he'll be in prison. We want to choose the heir apparent who will lead the GOP socially, if they can get Nikki Haley in that vice presidential position, then it's going to be hard. They don't want it to be Ron DeSantis because they want to kill MAGA permanently. Uh, and MAGA, the movement, the people. And so that is why Nikki Haley, that $10 million ad buy across the swing states, not a dime of it against Trump, which, again, tells you they want him as the nominee. They, they, they want him because they're going to take him down with lawfare. This is a cluster. <laughs> Oh, yes. I mean, you can just it's it's just like, you know, if this, then then if this, then then. And so what I'm doing with it right now is is Vince, I've just put it out there to try to get people to understand at this stage. um, I I think that proposing solutions at this point might be too much for people, but they need to see it coming because it's coming and they are going to absolutely whipsaw us with this. This is not going to be pretty at all. We'll definitely have to talk again. And I so appreciate. The uh, thing I appreciate is your thoughtfulness, your research on this. And uh, wow, this this is going to be a lot to take. It is. So we will talk again soon, Tara. Uh, thanks again for coming on the broadcast this morning. Yeah, absolutely. 98.9 WORD. You can stream me live. And thank you so much for having me on. All right, Tara, thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, What are your thoughts, folks? I have a feeling this is going to light up the lines. (laughs) We will take your calls. We'll even do some therapy online. I'm just kidding. Back in the final stretch of the Vince Coakley radio program. Do we happen to have a source for this, uh, Bernie? We have the Speaker of the House, who just had a meeting with Volodymyr Zelensky, about more funding for Ukraine. This meeting took place this morning. As you know, Zelensky's here with his tin cup, looking for billions more from the United States of America to continue to carry out their war. And this has gotten very messy, very messy, because there are people who just, um, um, well, we've got people in different places on this. Um, I think representing my side so to speak are the people who are saying it's time for us to prioritize our own border over concerns over the border connected to ukraine and russia so that news conference has just wrapped up um whether they're going to be able to get republican consensus on this is a huge huge question Let's go out to a couple of calls here, and I'm very surprised that I've not gotten any calls yet on this whole Trump matter and the conversation with Tara. I would love to know what you think. These calls uh, relate to the housing subject. Let's go first to Cassidy. Good morning, Cassidy. Welcome to the broadcast. Good morning. How are you? Doing well. How about you? Doing pretty good. 
less than highly favored. Um, I wanted to comment on that uh, housing thing and just say, you know, um, for the situation I'm in, to be frank with you, I'm very pleased to at least have, you know, the the um, the support and the because right now I'm, I'm living at home with my parents because it's taken me a year since I graduated college to be able to find a job. Um, and a lot of the times the workforce wants you to have experience in whatever field you're going into. And so for that, you know, money's not really being made. So it's really hard to move out. Um, but, you know, to be quite honest with you, I'm very pleased with my current living situation. As much as I want to be out on my own, you know, I'm blessed to, you know, be at least with family. Yeah, that's certainly some consolation here. I'm curious, though, as you look ahead to the future, do you want to be independent? Do you want to have your own home? Oh, yes, I do. How do these... I assume you heard our segment earlier. How concerned are you about the ability to do that in the environment we have right now? You know, coming from a place where... In part, it does concern me. Um, especially for people who are disabled, because it is sometimes very hard for us to find jobs because there is a lack of education on the you know people with disabilities and and unfortunately there's a lack of open mind mindedness in certain job fields uh, to who want to work with those people. Um, I've had rare uh, occasions where that has happened. When people have said, oh, we're not really sure whether we can work with you, even though I know I'm fully capable. So, and not only that, you know, inflation with the housing market going up, it, it does make it hard. Yeah, no, no question about it. What field are you pursuing, by the way? Um, I'm trying to pursue radio and uh, worship ministry. Okay, okay. Well, we certainly hope that goes very well for you, Cassidy. Thanks a lot for calling back, and do us a favor and call back and let us know about your progress, okay? Will do. Cassidy, very much appreciate your call. Let's go next to Brad here in Charlotte. Good morning, Brad. Well, I'm, I want to encourage Cassidy to keep pushing forward because it's not easy. But I don't want to seem unsympathetic, but... What I've experienced with many of the younger people today, they don't know how to delay their gratification. They don't know how to save money. Instead, they are living in these high-rent areas like, um, what is it, Noda, and in the hot spot. They, don't, they, they can't be away from the hot spot, so they have these high rents. That costs money. They don't know how to control their spending because they're dining all the time. They're going to high-end bars. There's just no limits. They don't know how to not go to that bar, not go to that nice restaurant. And then the, most of the people I know, they're traveling all over the place. They're, they're going to ski trips. They're going to Hawaii. And they say, because I deserve it. I'm 29 years old. I think I deserve <laughs> that. And I'm going, my gosh. And I, I'm 29 years old. I had two children, single family income. And I want all the young people to hear this. My interest rate on the house was 15%. Yeah, I remember those days. And I bought, and I bought it. And but I learned how to not uh, go after something. I I, I didn't. I, would, I didn't have self gratification. I, I I saved my money, 
I didn't go on those ski trips. So if I went skiing, I drove up and back to Boone. I didn't go spend the night on the slope. I hear you. That's a very important lesson for younger people, for sure. And some of us older folks, Brad, thanks very much for your call. We're out of time. Can you believe time has zipped by so quickly? Lord willing, we're back tomorrow at the same time right here on the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Have yourselves a great day, and God bless you. Adios.